This show is part of the RetroZap.com podcast network. You will never find the more wretched hive of scum and villainy. We must be cautious. Hello, and welcome to Beltway Banthas, your source for Star Wars and politics news and analysis, coming at you from our nation's very own hive of scum and villainy, Washington, D.C. I'm your host, Suara Sala, and today we are joined by a very special guest co-host, Heath Williams of the excellent Star Wars podcast, Rogue Podron. Heath, how are you doing today? I'm good. Thanks for having me on. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Stephen couldn't be with us today because unfortunately he's dealing with a bit of an emergency, but we are very happy to have Heath on today to discuss our President's Day episode. And we're just going to be going through and talking about um, Star Wars presidents or Star Wars chancellors that we've seen in the film canon. And we're going to be making like parallels with what we see in our real world and real American presidential history. And if any of y'all follow Heath on Twitter, like you'll know that he's a budding uh, Star Wars uh, presidential historian. Like he like reads garga- a gargantuan amount of books on presidential history. Like he's a big Kennedy fan. And actually, I'm curious, Heath, is Kennedy your favorite president? He is. Yeah. Always has been. Nice, nice. What are the reasons for that? Um, I think he kind of just had this idealism and set this like vision for the future for the country that it inspired a lot of people to like work towards that future. I and mean, we just like we don't see that anymore. And it you didn't see that in too many presidents either. Just like a very clear vision for a future. America that inspired people to also want that for America too. You, you know, my favorite president is Barack Obama for the exact reasons you just slated. Someone who has such an idealistic and amazing vision for the country, who believes in the better aspects of ourselves and how we can harness them and make a better nation for that. Yeah. Yeah. I miss Obama. <laughs> yeah. Don't we all? <laughs> uh, don't we all? It's really hard not to in these days. But before we get into our main topic, we're going to be discussing... Um, the recent Solo trailer, Solo, a uh, Star Wars story starring Han Solo, as Danny of Rogue Quadrant would say. Um, what were your thoughts on the trailer? <laughs> uh, it was good. Um, this has been the one Star Wars movie that I like have not felt excited about, like at all. Um, Same. Han Solo was just like never a character I loved that much. So getting like younger Han Solo is kind of like, eh, I don't care too much. Um, and I, I thought I'd feel more excited after seeing the trailer. I'm, I'm like marginally a little more excited, I guess, but it was, it was kind of what I expected it would be, which is like younger Han Solo running around doing shady things. So (laughs) like, I'm going to go see it opening night probably a couple Uh more times and I'll probably enjoy it but I'm still not feeling like too too excited about it but the trailer it was fun it it looks fun it was a solid trailer there was a lot of really cool stuff to look at I especially like looking at the new Falcon before Han mucked it up (laughs) yeah that's it's crazy how clean it is so clean (laughs) 
Yeah, yeah, just like a fresh new cargo ship that like Han was like, I'm going to make this into the fastest piece of junk in the galaxy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man, I feel exactly the same way that you do. I was never asking for this film. Actually, I was excited for it when Lord and Miller were attached to it because I loved the Lego movie and I loved 21 Jump mm-hmm. Street. I was looking forward to to seeing the aspects they would bring to it. But then obviously that all fell apart. And yeah. yeah. And like, again, Han, same thing for me. Um, Han was never really one of, I love Han, but he's still not one of my favorites. And I don't, can't really see myself being excited about his quote origin story. And it was like, mm-hmm. um, in a lot of ways, and I've talked about this with Steven, it seems like a bit of a shameless cra- uh, cash grab by Lucasfilm. I, I hope that doesn't sound yeah. too harsh. And I don't want to like uh, get down on anyone who is genuinely excited about uh, the trailer and movie. I'm very happy for them. But honestly, mm-hmm. at the end of the day, I'm just here for Lando, a Star Wars story. Yeah, Lando looks amazing. <laughs> like Donald, Gl- Donald, Donald Glover looks so good as Lando. Just, mm, I mean, that it. cape, that cape is too good. Yeah. It's just too good. And, yeah. And he's, he's got the like slimy grin down. Perfect. It's just, it's spot on. Exactly. No, Donald Glover's so great. And the thing about Lando is that he's someone we don't really know a lot about who still made a lot of pivotal yeah. actions in the original trilogy. And people are like, honestly, like really thirsty for Lando. <laughs> yeah. They like, are. Yeah, yeah, like in the sequel trilogy and The Last Jedi, one of people's biggest complaints was there was no Lando and that there could have been room for a cameo or something. And I'm not going to fault Ryan Johnson for that, but even I think that. I like, come on, give us a little Lando. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I know a lot of people who are like, where is Lando in all of the sequel trilogy business? Like, did he just disappear? Is he dead? Like, at some point, we need to find out what happened to Lando after Return of the Jedi. I just, like, my biggest hope for the solo film is that Donald Glover Lando will be so popular that Lucasfilm will be like, you know what, let's make a bunch of Lando films, like, and yeah. it's it yeah. just like, th- like, that's what, um, and again, this is something that Steven said, he's with us in spirit, that, um, like Lucasfilm's best risks seem to be when they're exploring the cracks of the unexplored aspects of this universe. When you have like a backstory mm. for uh, Ro- Rogue One, um, you know, how did these rebel spies get the Death Star plans? And it was told in such a yeah. great way that added such rich elements to the universe, including in the politics that we've talked about ad nauseum. And uh, instead of like, we don't just need a prequel for every character. I don't know. What do you think about that? Yeah, I I don't want a series of movies where it's like young Yoda, young Leia. Like I I'm really not interested in that. It it's really hard to divorce those really famous characters from the portrayals we've seen. Mm-hmm. So it's it's just a it's a really difficult thing to pull off. Right. Right. Um and I guess I'm still a little unconvinced from this trailer that they're going to pull it off here, mm-hmm. but We'll see. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't feel like I need everybody's backstory. Like I don't need to know what so-and-so was doing 10 years before they showed up on screen for the first time. Like we can just be introduced to characters as we go and not get their whole life story. You don't need a Sebastian Stan young Luke film. No, (laughs) please. No, leave Luke alone. (laughs) Just, he was just on the farm farming 
We don't need a movie about it. We don't it. need his adventures in the Dune Sea. <laughs> oh, God. Please, no. <laughs> I mean, like, I... Lo- yeah. I I will say this about Solo. Mm. I'm excited for there to be a Star Wars movie with very low stakes. Um, It seems to be generally disconnected from the larger conflict in the galaxy. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm sure there will be like some imperial entanglements. I'm sure someone will say that exact line because this is going to be the most fan servicey movie ever. But I... I think just, like, having a movie where, like, you know Han survives, you know Chewie survives, you know Lando mm-hmm. survives. Just, like, knowing that those characters are going to make it out and that it's not connect. There's no, like, huge thing that has to happen. Yeah. means it can just be a fun movie. Just fun. And I, yeah, I, I hope that's, like, what they go for here. And they don't, like, try to weave in, like, oh, he actually, like, runs into Obi-Wan. Oh, my and, God. Like, I just... No, please no. <laughs> no, that would be so bad. No. Yeah. Uh, I saw someone a while back say like, "Oh, he could be on, he could be on Tatooine because Jabba lives there, <laughs> so he could be like in the bar and bump into Obi Wan." I was like, "Oh Why? my god, I would walk out of the theater." <laughs> please no. Oh my god, I just like, you know, it's so funny you mentioned that about it having low stakes because. This is, um, it's the first time I'm going into a Star Wars film where I don't feel any stakes at all. And I'm, and I'm yeah. because we're all so yeah. invested in Star Wars, we're like, huh, there's no stakes in this, then why should I care mm-hmm. about it? You know, it's like I care way more about Rebels than I do about, I mean, that's not to diss Rebels, yeah. I love Rebels, but still, like the fact that relatively I care about an ancillary cartoon series than I do about a film. Again, not not to diss yeah. anyone or like to discount rebels. I, I feel bad for saying that, but you know what I mean. Yeah, and I think the more I see and hear about Solo, the more I appreciate Rogue One for what yes. it was, which was like, yes, we knew that the rebels were going to get the Death Star plans there, but like we didn't know how or what would happen to the characters involved. Mm-hmm. So like the stakes were still fairly high, there. right? Um, but, so, yeah, this is just something completely different from what we've seen so far. And that I think that's a good thing. And I will remain cautiously optimistic about yeah, it. Yeah, that's a good attitude to have. I think I'm going to as well because, you know, I, I think in a lot of ways, seeing, like, some of my Star Wars friends' excitement for it, it rubs off on you in a good way. So I'm looking forward yeah. to that. Okay, so now we are going to move on to our main topic, Star Wars chief executives and their parallels in real-life American history. And in a way, and you'll see from the title of this episode, we are calling this Chancellor's Day. So think of it as like an in-depth discussion of like uh, essentially the presidents of the Galactic Republic, both old and new. And, you know, what did we see in American history that... um, you know, we could learn from or that we can understand more about the executive office and its range of powers. And I'm really excited to discuss this with you because like, I know you have such an in-depth like roster of knowledge of presidential history and you're super uber passionate about this. And let's just get into it with our, let's yeah, yeah. With our first uh, chronological uh, chancellor, um, Supreme Chancellor Finnis Valorum, whom we see in The Phantom Menace, 
And uh, doing some now, people will remember him as you know the uh, guy who sent Qui Gon and Obi Wan to try to deal with the Trade Federation, and then received the Queen's delegation from Naboo, and then apparently he was so inept at his job he had to get a vote of no confidence. So, so <laughs> what? And also, it's weird. And when a friend of the show, Tamara Keith, note, noted this once. Can a queen of one of the constituent planets call for a vote of no confidence? Like, she's not part of the Senate. But anyway. Um, yeah, I, I always wondered how that worked. Yeah. <laughs> she, she, like, has no authority over that body and is all of a sudden like, mm, I think we should get rid of this guy. <laughs> oh, George. <laughs> Everyone just went along with it. Like, yeah, yeah sure. let's vote on Sure, that. vote now, vote now. Like, it yeah, was just, like, so ridiculous. Pretty yeah, ridiculous in the sometimes funniest way possible. We love you, George. Um, so I was doing some research about Valorum, and he was someone who was actually born into power and privilege. He was actually a descendant of the Republic's very first Supreme Chancellor, whenever that was, maybe a thousand years ago, maybe a hundred years ago. We still don't have a definitive answer on that in the new canon. And overall, uh, when I was reading the Wikipedia page on him, he seemed to be someone who was quite feckless and aloof. Like, he didn't really uh, take a lot of uh, privileges, and he didn't take a lot of uh, direct action with the chancellorship. He would, I think he would mostly delegate responsibility to the bureaucrats or maybe to the Jedi, uh, as he did with Naboo, to try to keep galactic peace in order. And he wasn't really an active player overall. And you hear this in The Phantom Menace itself. Uh, Palpatine says, the Chancellor has little real power. He is mired by baseless (laughs) accusations of corruption. The bureaucrats are in charge now. And... Yeah, that's a really good Palpatine. <laughs> that's a good Palpatine. Oh, wait, thank you. You know how much I love Palpatine. Thank you, Heath. Um, but um, I'm curious, like, if we've seen something in our own nation's history of a president who has dealt with some sort of vote of no confidence. I mean, I guess the best parallel would be impeachment, right? Yeah, um, I guess it would be Andrew Johnson, I think. Um, he, like, faced impeachment, and when the it got to the vote in the Senate to, like, vote to actually find him guilty and impeach him, it fell one vote short, but still a majority of the senators voted to remove him from office. They just didn't get the required two-thirds. So it was, right. it was this weird situation where, like, lots of people wanted him out of his job. Like, they clearly did not respect him and didn't want to be working with him. Um, But he got to keep it. So it was, like, really... I just, like, can't imagine how awkward that must have been for him to, like, keep going to work every day. Like, yeah, nobody wants me here. But, um, yeah, I think think in terms of, like, a vote of no confidence, that's probably the closest parallel. And, And, I mean, there are obviously lots of examples throughout history of, like, presidents having pretty ambitious legislative agendas that get shut down by Congress. And that can make a president look feckless as well. Um, Yeah. I think, I think Andrew Johnson would probably be the closest parallel there. And then I think anytime a president Uh dies in office and the vice president becomes president, I feel like there's a sense of that too, where like they weren't elected 
to that offense, but they're still holding it. So I think there's always like a little bit of distrust there too. And it's really on that person to then prove like, I can do this job. Um, and until they do prove that, I think there's a little bit of skepticism and some danger of them being feckless right. as well. Uh, what, which uh, number president was Andrew Johnson again? Um, 17, because he was right after... Ah, interesting. Yeah. Yeah, and I was he, I, you know, right after, you know, the sort of, I would presume, like, massive expansion of executive power by Abraham Lincoln, maybe Johnson, like, realized yeah. the backlash against that, so he decided, like, oh, I'm not gonna, you know, put my hands on this sort of policy, or I'm gonna, like, leave the South alone during Reconstruction, and we all know how that turned out, so it's interesting how that can leave like those sort of lasting effects, like on the country and its institutions. And, you know, I think obviously we see that with the galactic Republic, you know, going into Palpatine's era, you know, like Palpatine had mentioned, yes, corruption is brewing in the Republic and no one cares about the common good. Obviously, you know, Palpatine, the brilliant genius he is, was uh, fostering some of that as well to prime it really for his own takeover Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just like oh, that's interesting, and like I, I think that you know, with someone like uh, Valorum, he I don't uh, we don't really know like the sort of expansive power the Chancellor's meant to have. Like, we don't have a constitution for the Star Wars galaxy, but oh my god, I, I want, want one though. That would be fascinating. Yeah, to we make. want one too. That would be amazing. And Pablo, p- please get on that. <laughs> please. And, and um. <laughs> It would just be like, uh, yeah, I'm curious, like, if he was able to do or not do things without the approval of the Senate. Probably not. I would imagine, like, because sending the Jedi Knights, Qui-Gon, and Obi-Wan to Naboo to deal with this crisis was something done in secret. Like, I don't think anyone in the Senate really mm-hmm. knew about it and would probably look at it as sort of an overextension of his authority. And maybe it's something that's very uncharacteristic for him as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's fascinating. It, it does seem like prior to Palpatine, they were mostly figureheads and didn't have much that they could like do on their own. Right. That's the impression we're given in the Phantom Menace as someone who, whose job was really to convene the Senate in and of itself. And like, yeah, I, I guess it's like, is maybe George Lucas was trying to say that maybe there's a danger in a bureaucrat in a sorry a chancellor or president leaving too much to the legislative body, and I, I could see some of that because like especially with decentralization and you know I think in our own nation's history the argument about states' rights and what some states have done <laughs> regarding uh, you know <laughs> like I'm talking about way back in the 1800s and like in the 19 early 1900s of slavery and uh, segregation that can be applied to some very, uh, yeah, negative effects to say the least. Yep. Yeah. Okay. So let's move on to, uh, our, my personal favorite, my, it's It's my boy. boy. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Supreme chancellor and then emperor Palpatine, who was, a brilliant mastermind pulling the strings of the clone wars to degrade institutions to give himself more power, like in a sort of a 180 degree opposite from Valorum, who was, as we said, just said, um, 
very feckless and aloof and wouldn't really take advantage of the executive power that was given to him, Palpatine said, no, we are going to make things right. We are going to inspire hope in the galaxy. We are going to use this. We're going to uh, stay strong in the midst of this separatist crisis, which he himself engineered with Dooku (laughs) to, um, yeah, yeah, give himself so much power until the point where he made himself the institution. And essentially this is the opposite problem of Valorum that we were just talking about. It's executive leadership going too far and all the way to the point where he can just declare himself an emperor to thunderous applause. And, you know, especially in this year, we've had so much talk about, um, you know, Trump being like Palpatine or some sort of dictator. I I can see where that analogy holds, obviously, in the degradation of institutions. But Trump is like, yeah. he, he, does, he has barely any of the same brain as Palpatine. Like, it's obvious he doesn't really know right. what he's doing. But I remember I was chatting with you. You said you saw a lot of um, parallel with uh, Lyndon Johnson, correct? Yeah, um, I always view Lyndon Johnson as like having a chessboard in front of him for his entire life. And like his ultimate end goal was to become president. And he was just like always moving pieces on his board to get there. Um, Different people thought he believed different things. He was using different people to go against each other to like gain power for himself. So I see a lot of. Palpatine's very calculated and planned rise to power in the way Lyndon Johnson like went from a congressional secretary to leading a statewide New Deal um, branch to becoming a congressman himself, then senator, then majority leader, then vice president, then president. It he was just like always climbing up that ladder and always thinking about what his next step was to get to the top rung of that ladder. And I think like that's exactly what Palpatine did. Like he was scheming to seize this power for a long, long, long time. Yeah, totally. That uh, like describes Palpatine to a T. And I, I'm fascinated to hear that about Lyndon Johnson because for me, he was always someone whom I greatly respected for his domestic achievements, but thought like screwed it up so, so badly, obviously with Vietnam and just his name went down in infamy mm-hmm. as someone who, you know, just ugh, took us on this completely pointless and destructive war in a lot of ways, like George Bush in the Iraq war. Uh, and yeah, do you think that for Lyndon Johnson, there was any attempt to use the Vietnam War as a um, propulsor for his own popularity? Yeah, I think I think he was under the impression it wouldn't be as hard as it was. I think I think he approached Vietnam similarly to the way George Bush approached Iraq, where he thought it would be like a quick fairly easy thing. Like, let's just get in there, win, get out. And it obviously became a very prolonged conflict that was awful. (laughs) Um, so yeah, I think he initially thought it was a necessary thing to do that would ultimately help him. And then just like lost control of the situation completely. Right. And therein lies the difference between him and Palpatine, where Palpatine was engineering the conflict from the very start, like decades in advance. According to like a Legends novel, Darth Plagueis, it was something that he had planned with uh, his master, uh, the aforementioned Darth Plagueis. And it just like, uh, 
Yeah, but I still like really see and really appreciate that sort of parallel between them of like climbing for years up towards power and trying to make all the power plays they could. And honestly, that reminds me a lot of a certain character whose uh, actor portrayal has recently been exposed as a scumbag. But Frank Frank Underwood, you know, (laughs) that's a lot like Frank Underwood. And uh You know, like yeah. before, like I found out, we all found out about Kevin Spacey. Like, I don't know, for some reason, I just like, that's something like I really like in a villain or in a character, someone who plans out so far out in advance. And even though they're evil, like I know Palpatine is evil. Like if he lived in real life, I'd be like, oh my God, you're such a monster. You're such a like disgusting, like piece of filth that needs to be destroyed. But still there's something like, Admirable, yeah, something admirable in how they're able to achieve power, and it's just like it's like a cool villain sort of thing. Do you understand what I mean? Yeah, yeah, and I love that you brought up Frank Underwood because it reminded me. There's an episode of House of Cards where you can see on Frank Underwood's desk a copy of one of the volumes of Robert Caro's Lyndon right. Johnson biographies, um, and the writers said they put that there because they leaned so heavily on those biographies to like build the character of Frank Underwood. There's like so much of Lyndon Johnson in him. So like, that's a very apt comparison then. And yeah, like just like Lyndon Johnson should have never been president because he stole his election to the Senate in 1948. Like he was like always scheming for the power and refused to like veer off course at all. Like, even when he like literally lost an election, <laughs> he um, schemed to come out as the quote winner unquote of the election and go to the Senate. Um, so yeah, he like he knew what he wanted and he wasn't going to let anything stand. That in is his way so fascinating. Again, like as someone who like previously had somewhat admired Lyndon Johnson to excuse me <laughs> to recognize how. Machiavellian he was and maybe it makes me appreciate him as more of a quote-unquote villainous person in history I guess (laughs) Mm -hmm. like like, yeah Yeah. like oh man um but I am curious to talk a bit about the Trump analogy that people make with uh Palpatine Mm -hmm. and I'm sure you've seen the Twitter account Emperor Trumpetine we've had them on the show before like it's just yeah. brilliant, like the stuff they make. But the actual, like, uh, Star Wars in the universe and real life um, Trump that we all have to deal with. Um, what do you make of that? He's just—he's not that bright. Exactly. <laughs> um, it's like it's really hard for me to make the connection. I mean, there's the obvious connection between the two. Like, if you don't like Donald Trump, like me. Um, you see evil in both of them. So it's like easy to make that connection. Like, Oh, Donald Trump is just like Palpatine. They're both bad. But like you were saying, Palpatine is so much more than that. He's more than just evil. He's like a genius evil. And Donald Trump just isn't that like having bad evil ideas doesn't make you like, Palpatine. Exactly. I feel like you need to know how to execute them well. And like, you definitely see though, the, the, excuse me, the degradation of institutions under 
Trump. I, I think mm-hmm. I feel like overall our institutions have held strong, but it's because you have a Republican Party that is complicit with this dumb chief executive to um I don't I don't even want to go ahead and say like, you know, hold power, but basically protect him in his own power grabs that he's too dumb to reinforce. Yeah. 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 And I was thinking about the erosion of institutions and one president that actually came to mind there was FDR in a weird way. Um, One of my favorite presidents, someone I really admire, but when you think about like no one had ever run for more than two terms before he ran for four, he got closest to that idea of like becoming the institution, like essentially like naming himself, like I'm the government. Like he ran for the third term, which was unprecedented. He tried to pack the Supreme court Um, that got shut down, thankfully, but he, it was very clear that he had like very grand ambitions for what the presidency meant and what he could do with it. And the institutions ended up holding firm, thankfully, but I think, and he's, again, one of my favorite presidents really respect him, but I think that's probably the closest we ever got to that kind of totally situation. And again, we revere FDR to such a high degree because in a lot of ways he saved the country mm-hmm. during the great depression and helped lead us to victory during world war two. But the, the extent and the privileges yeah. he took to, um, you know, like use that power, many would call simply undemocratic, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It happens exactly. on both sides and, you know, like at one point or another, like one party may be more guilty of it, but it's like so much in a lot of ways, we just have to remember that so much matters about the individual who is the executive, whether whether they're the chancellor, whether they're the president, whether they're any of that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I was, I was also thinking about one more thing about Palpatine and I apologize for saying this again, like another President, I really admire Barack Obama. I see a little bit, bit of him there too, but only in that Barack Obama was like in the right place at the right time. He was the right person in the right place right. at the right time. Like deeply unpopular president, long war that's been going on forever. And the country just like needed to turn to someone who was going to pivot away from that and they felt could get them out of that. And that's what. Obama was. And then I think that's what a lot of the people, the senators who were like, vote now, vote now. I think that's what they were going for there too. So like, I I see like a kind of parallel there, but like you said, like, obviously Obama wasn't architecting the (laughs) Iraq war for a decade prior to running for president. How do we know that he, it's not an exact comparison. (laughs) I'm, I'm sure there's a, hot take somewhere oh that he God, actually was only the hottest of takes uh that's actually like a reason to like uh maybe like obama a little bit more for me a less insidious reason so <laughs> uh i, I yeah. love both trump. Yep. i love both uh, i was about to say trump accidentally i love both uh palpatine and obama they're great <laughs> yeah. um okay so yep. moving on after uh decades of uh horrendous rule um by my beloved uncle palpy um we had uh <laughs> chancellor mon mothma the leader of the rebellion who 
believed so, so strongly in democracy and the value of institutions and whom we saw, we've seen during rebels was incredibly reticent to take uh, armed force against the empire. And I, we talked about this before on the show. She was really pressured into it by people like Saw Guerrera and others who like, um, you know, were able to take that step, but she like was always very pacifistic. She genuinely didn't believe in war and she genuinely felt forced into it and we even see during rogue one that she and the council can't make the the decision to go to scarif to get the death star plans and it has to be fighters that do it instead and after the end of the galactic civil war she pushed very strongly for demilitarization during the galactic concordance and this ultimately led to the New Republic being destroyed by the First Order and them taking over, as we see in The Last Jedi. And, you know, this. Uh, I think she also uh, implemented policies for decentralization that we see in Bloodline. We see two different parties, the centrists and populists. Uh, these two parties, the former mm-hmm. want deeper centralization, the other, like, want decentralization because of the uh, horrific effects they saw during the Empire. So... You know, even though she made these mistakes, I think that she was still someone who believed so strongly and is deeply admirable in the courage of their convictions. And for me personally, I see a parallel with a Barack Obama there. And, um, you know, like Mm -hmm. she and him almost always consistently rely on moral arguments. And, you know, I was just talking to you at the beginning of the show about John F. Kennedy, and I definitely see that courage of conviction uh, between the two of them as well. Yeah, I think um, when I was reading the notes here about Mon Mothma, I wanted to talk about Kennedy, and then we like had already talked about it earlier. Um, but yeah, for like all the reasons you just mentioned, I think that's who I see there, um, and sort of the pacifism too. Um, I know Kennedy was obviously the one who first sent military advisors into um, Vietnam, but his approach to um, the Cuban Missile Crisis was just like he did not want that situation to escalate into an actual violent conflict of any kind, and he he navigated that situation like so carefully and thoughtfully with peace in mind as just the ultimate like there this has to come to a peaceful um, conclusion. So I see a bit of him there too, and. Yeah, it's, I think Barack Obama was a very idealistic person, and there are lots of people who say he didn't end up living up to those ideals. But I think, um, I think you're exactly right that he kind of like had a very concrete vision for what this country should be, and let that be his compass for his presidency. So I, I definitely. It's see really him there interesting too. how we're making a parallel between you know, Lyndon Johnson and Trump who, or sorry, Lyndon Johnson and uh, Palpatine. Sorry, I keep mixing up Palpatine and Trump for some reason. Mm-hmm. Apologies. Um, and and then we see <laughs> a parallel between Mon Mothma and uh, John F. Kennedy and, you know, how they, yeah. they dealing with these uh, larger conflicts in the world or in the galaxy. You see the um, initiative put forth by, uh, Lyndon Johnson and Palpatine to get more involved and to like use this as a means of consolidating their own power. Whereas with Mon Mothma and John F. Kennedy tend to tended to navigate it in a much more diplomatic way. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. 
Yeah, and interesting that Kennedy and Johnson were in the same White House, and yet they were so, so, so different. And LBJ kind of just, like, waited until he became president to kind of, like, then just go for it. He was he was very quiet as vice president. Like there were articles running in magazines saying like, where is Lyndon Johnson? Like what happened to him? Um, because he had been such a huge figure on the national scene for so long as Senate majority leader. Like, um, and then he became vice president and just like disappeared. And then when he became president, he just like kicked it into gear again and just went all out. Right. It's really fascinating. So we have another really pacifistic chancellor, uh, Chancellor Villacham, who was the uh, chancellor, not Supreme Chancellor, mind you. During the New Republic, they decided to do away with the Supreme title, which you know is pretty uh, makes a lot of sense. They don't <laughs> want to be seen as like a Supreme Overlord yep. over the galaxy or something. It was really funny reading about him and how he was specifically based off of Neville Chamberlain. Yeah, he was. Ba- generally very pacifistic and in a lot of ways he kind of let the first order rise and although the politics of like you know bloodline leading into the force awakens like they're a little confusing and i feel like you can tell there's not like a lot of coordination there between the writers which is mm-hmm. a little unfortunate it makes our job a little harder but or our job our hobby <laughs> um although it's fun like you know we can still put in some headcanon there and, and uh, I just think yeah. that, you know, like, again, like, were they trying to make a point that, like, if you're not engaged in the galaxy at large or if you're too pacifistic, that you can't um, lead your galaxy and your government in the midst of such chaos? Is it that, I don't know, like, I'm wondering if we see a parallel with between uh, Villacham and presidents whose ineptitude led to the civil war. I was just actually at the uh, national portrait uh, museum yesterday and we were looking at the presidents uh, Mm -hmm. before Lincoln and a lot of uh, the stuff that was written next to their portraits was about their failures uh, like as presidents and how they weren't able to deal effectively with the South, you know, people like James Buchanan or Franklin Pierce. Uh, Do you think, do you think that analogy holds? Yeah, I think basically the whole string of presidents between Polk and Lincoln was just, like, awful. Um, They all kind of just, like, watched it all happen and didn't do anything to try to stop it. Um, I've tried many times to do a chronological read of a biography of every single president, and I always get lost in that little run there between Polk and Lincoln because... It's a frustrating to read about them because they're not doing what needs to be done. And they were also just boring. They like didn't do anything. <laughs> um, so yeah, it, I definitely see a parallel there of some presidents who like, they didn't want to anger the South and they thought that um, they just didn't want to escalate the situation at all. They didn't want to anger the South and make it become, and like start a civil war. That's what they w- were afraid they would do if they, um, tried to end slavery or anything. Yeah. And in doing so, the, situ- the situation just escalated and got yeah. worse anyway until it had to be dealt with. Um, so yeah, I definitely, I definitely see a parallel there. 
And I remember in the ancillary material leading up to The Force Awakens, apparently Leia was being labeled as a warmonger or someone who wanted to take the fight to the First Order and people in the Senate just wouldn't believe her or... I don't know. It's like, it's a little spotty here and there, but it's, it it just like, um, Mm -hmm. is interesting because of the wounds the galaxy had sustained during this, uh, galactic civil war and how much they did just didn't want to replicate that. Yeah. There, there was just like no desire to jump back into a war of any kind. Like everyone was still trying to recover, like even 30 years on from a war, like the galactic civil war, like, that's something that takes right. a while to rebuild from. So I could see why Leia being like, Hey, we need to take care of these people over here who are building another death star would be met with like, mm, let's maybe not jump into another right. conflict. Like right. That. And like, I could imagine in our own nation's history after the revolutionary war, which was, you know, took, it took a lot of convincing, you know, for some, even of our founding fathers to uh, engage in war against, our uh, colonial oppressor, it was, yeah, like there was probably mm-hmm. that same feeling and weariness of getting engaged in another fight. And like, because we were still such a new nation, maybe people felt like, oh, the union doesn't really matter that much. And we're only a union of separate states anyway. So maybe just let them go. But someone like Lincoln yeah. was like uh, adamant enough to, uh, you know, try to keep us all together. Yep. Yeah. And that, that was like a prevailing mindset of the time. It was a lot of people kind of viewed their state as their country and, um, the U S as just like a collection of states and not one cohesive unit. So it was, it was difficult to rally people behind the idea that keeping the union together is worth going to war for similar to probably what Leia would have dealt with in trying to convince people that it was worth going to war with the first order for. Speaking of Leia, even though she was never a chancellor or held any sort of real executive office, like in the galaxy, I think she's someone important to talk about because she was someone who was so close to achieving that. Um, You read bloodline, right? Mm hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And like uh, she was the candidate for the populist party to, you know, be the not the chancellor, but be the first senator who, in effect, would be someone who did have a lot of would have a lot of executive power and would steer the Senate in uh, its legislative agenda. And, you know, like she was really popular. She was someone who's smart, dedicated, uh, basically spent her whole life building up to this. And the parallel I see there is someone who un- remains a controversial figure, but Hillary Rodham Clinton, mm-hmm. it's just like someone whose election, I f- think most of us honestly would agree, no matter what side of the political aisle you're on, like wouldn't have, we wouldn't have all the scandals all of the chaos right now in our country. If she had won and maybe you would have seen the same with the galaxy if Leia was first senator or maybe if she was chancellor and was able to like muster up the forces in the Republic to um, protect against the first order. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely see that. Um, yeah. Someone who like is such a huge influence for so long and 
doesn't ever attain that final rung of power um, is really interesting. And I think about Adlai Stevenson, who ran for president in 52 and 56 and lost both times. Um, He was a governor before that and just he was someone the Democratic Party kept turning to as their idealistic candidate who they thought would finally turn the tide on civil rights. And he just, he never ended up winning the election, even though they kept putting him out there. And then William Jennings Bryan is someone else who was a huge national figure, ran for president multiple times, never won. Um, so like never fully became like what they thought they should be. Right. No, it is like fascinating to look at that. And again, like referring to the National Portrait Gallery yesterday, I was looking at a portrait of uh, Benjamin Franklin and, um, you know, reflecting on the fact that like he was never a president or an executive, um, but he was still such an influential figure in our politics and helped like become the uh, country we are today. And in a lot of ways, I mean, no, seriously, like Leia was a figure in the rebellion. She like led so many of the troops and like politically mm-hmm. uh, she must've been very like powerful, you know, as we see in the aftermath trilogy and helped it probably write that star Wars constitution. We really want to see. And yes. yeah, no, totally. Th- wait, this is our new head canon. Leia wrote the constitution for the new Republic. I'm here for it. I want so, it. I want it so bad. I just want a book that is just the constitution. Like, yes. like, like pen name by Leia and it's written by Claudia Gray. <laughs> oh my God. I want it so badly. Oh my God. That would be amazing. Oh my God. <laughs> ah, all right. Well, we have gone through all of the Star Wars executives and yeah, Heath, you got anything else to say about any final thoughts about this topic? No, it was just, it was fascinating to, this is something that is maybe hard to believe, but I've never actually like thought about before. So it was really fun to like sit down and think about these different traits that these chief executives we see in star Wars have, and then think back on books I've read and be like, Oh yeah, that's like almost identical to that real life situation that happened here. Um, so yeah, it was just fascinating. Yeah, it was fascinating for me too. And something I love about the podcast when we're talking about these parallels or these connections is that you always make a new one and you always discover something new in the conversation. So I'm glad you could be here for it. Yeah, thanks for having me again. Of course. And now we move on to our legendary segment, Bantha Fodder, when we talk about whatever is on our minds, Star Wars, politics, or otherwise uninterrupted, and just let it out there for the viewers to take, the listeners to take in. Heath, as our guest, uh, why don't you go first today? Sure. Um, I cannot stop talking about the books I'm currently reading. I already mentioned them once <laughs> on this show already. Um, I'm currently rereading Robert Caro's. Lyndon Johnson biographies, um, currently four volumes. He's working on the fifth and he better hurry up cause he's getting old and I'm scared about it. Um, but I'm currently reading volume three, which is master of the Senate. And it's, it's just one of the, by far one of the best books I've ever read. Um, it's one of those books that takes like a 50 page detour at some point to give 
a mini biography on Richard, Richard Russell because he was such a prominent figure in Lyndon Johnson's life while he was in the Senate. And you don't even mind taking that 50 page detour. It's like fun to go somewhere else for a bit. And it takes such skill for a biographer to be able to give that much detail and have you not feel like it's overwhelming, but if anything, make you even more invested in the book. So my plug is for everybody to read these books. If you haven't yet, they are among my favorite books I've ever read. And I'm so happy to be rereading them. Awesome. Yeah. I've seen you talk about Robert Carroll a lot on Twitter and like, I'm really intrigued to read. I love him so much. It's a time commitment. It's a big time commitment. The, what I'm currently reading is 1,100 pages, so you've you've got to chunk out a good deal of time if you're going to go through all of them, but totally worth it. You will not regret it. Yeah, I've got a lot to read, but I just got to add that onto the list. <laughs> okay. Do it. Do it. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Um, so my fodder today... I'm someone who has always prided myself on being uh, conciliatory with differing opinions from mine and having Republican and conservative friends, even though most of my friends are liberal Democrats, and being able to understand that different point of view on the topics and the policies that are going on in our nation right now. And I'm just really... uh, I'm angered i'm afraid i'm scared and like i just really want people who support the republican party generally and i don't want to be someone who tells you what to think i don't want you to go automatically democrat if you don't feel like that's for you or liberal or call yourself any of those labels i totally get that because that's what you genuinely believe But I genuinely implore people, our nation as a whole, really, Democrats and Republicans, to understand the institutional damage that the Republican Party is doing right now, being complicit with Trump and shielding him from investigation. And essentially, in so many ways that we're seeing now, feel empowered to do borderline or flat out unconstitutional things. Recently, you saw in Pennsylvania, this uh, Pennsylvania Supreme Court ordering uh, the Republican majority to redraw a gerrymandered district because it like clearly and obviously gave a huge benefit to Republicans there. And how did the Republican, how some Republicans in the uh, Pennsylvania Senate respond? They decided, hey, you know what, we're going to impeach the Supreme Court because apparently they're ruling, we think their ruling is unfair guess what? The point of a court is to make sure that you're in check. And it's just infuriating that they even think that they can do this. Thankfully, it doesn't actually look like something like that would go through. But that is indicative of the wider ramifications of this administration and what they feel like they can get away with. Blatantly lying to the American public, for one, like virtually every single day, this administration does not feel responsible for any of the things they say to the public. And you see it with the Mueller investigation. You see Paul Ryan and Mitch McConnell stymie the investigation and try to throw water at something that isn't 
that is clearly there's something there. Even if you're skeptical, you can't deny that the fact that we have like confessions and we have people from the Trump campaign now working with the Mueller investigation, that there isn't something there. And seeing David Nunes the other week release the memo, which basically didn't have anything in it. Apparently there was just some sort of mishandling of a FISA request that was relatively minor because the thing about FISA requests is that you're supposed to have evidence continuously to back it up, which the investigators did. It was just trying to make a bunch of hullabaloo over nothing and throw uh, like a bunch of like unnecessary skepticism at this nonpartisan investigation by Robert Mueller, a Republican. No matter where you are on the political spectrum, understand that this is not good for our country. It's not good for the rule of law. It is something that you should be enraged about as an American. It is something that you, as a proud American and as someone who believes in our rule of law, in our values, in our institutions, should be up in arms about. So if you are going to continue to support your senator or congressman or whoever, like understand what it is that they're doing, understand that like they should be held accountable just as any other politician should be. And don't simply vote for someone because they're not a Democrat. You know, I'll just say that flat out. Make your own informed choice because you deserve the best candidate no matter who they are or what party they're from. That's my fodder. Sorry, a bit long, but that's been on my mind for a couple of weeks. Well said. Well said. I agree Thank with you. everything you said. Thank you. I appreciate that, Heath. <laughs> and now I'd just like to thank our wonderful patrons whose uh, dedication and support allow Stephen and I to do this show and make it the best quality it can be. So thank you so much to Isaiah Leslie, Cheston Lee, Andrew Siner, Lynn Walker, Connie Shi, Sarah Strain, BJ Smith, Justin Day, Jessica Chitara, Sarah Smith, Jared Cantor, Tish Wells, Sean Mahan, and Nick DeCalandria. Thank you so, so much for your support. It means the world to us, and it's only going to get better from here. I can promise you that. And that is going to the end of Chancellor's Day, our uh, looking at the history of Star Wars and our own American history and finding where our executives in both worlds align. Keith, why don't you tell everyone where they can find you online? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Heath D. Williams. That's D as in dog in the middle there. Um, and you can find Rogue Padron at Rogue Padron. Y'all should really check out Rogue Padron. It is one of like my favorite podcasts, period. <laughs> I, we are we're a weird bunch. <laughs> you're a wonderfully weird bunch. And I just okay, I'll be honest, I don't usually read the X-Wing books, but like just hearing you guys talk about them, I just like, yes, I love this so much. It's I, I mean, you're yes. basically retelling like the legend story to us, which I really love. Yeah. With your trademark millennial gusto. <laughs> that's us thank you thank you for giving us that branding that we can use forever now I'm sorry i've been so shamelessly self-promoting well <laughs> no it's good it's good <laughs> thanks heath and you can find me on twitter at suara saleh one that's s-w-a-r-a-s-a-l-i-h-1 you can find steven online at steven underscore kent that's steven with a p-h 
you can find Beltway Banthas at Beltway Banthas. And if you're interested, I have a Star Wars Facebook group called Sounds from a Galaxy Far, Far Away, where we just discuss music, uh, John Williams, Michael Giacchino, and everything else uh, that's in Star Wars and music that you might be interested in. All right, and that's going to do it for Beltway Banthas. May the Force be with you. Always. <laughs>